Hello and welcome to the Harvest Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We are honored that you would click on this and listen to God's Word preached by one of our elders. At the same time, we strongly affirm the biblical mandate for Christians to be a faithfully active and in-person part of their local church. This sermon cannot and will not replace what a local church can provide to the life of a Christian. That being said, we hope that this sermon challenges and encourages you in your faith and that it builds upon the faithful ministry of your local church. We hope that you enjoy. God bless. Turn me, if you will, to John chapter 5. For you who don't know, I will confess this. It's hard to breathe up here. I'm not making excuses. There's no vents. So just so you know, if one Nate's struggling, there's no air moving. So y'all just want to fan some this way. It's greatly appreciated. Um, and, and that being said, Nate always gives me a hard time. I got to get you, you guys to know this. Um, I'm not very good at coming up with sermon titles. Uh, if you notice, they're always really plain. They're never that good. And Nate's always on me. That's the best you got. And uh, I'm never very good at that. But I want to say I'm better than Pastor Kersey. Um, Because last week his sermon title was John chapter 5 verses 1 through 16. And I like the classical nature of that. You know, just is what it is. And I love that about him. And that's really what I want to do if it wasn't for Nate hounding me all the time about it. But I've tried to put a little special effort and I asked, prayed God to get manna from heaven so I could get one this week. And uh, uh, I don't know if it's good or not. But uh, how about Christmas clarity? Huh? Is that? Uh, uh, all right. Well, maybe um, we'll try again next week. So, uh, uh, <laughs> it's rough, ain't it, Charles? Rough but fair. Uh, it's rough but fair. Um, and in John chapter 5, as Pastor Kersey preached last week, uh, Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethsaida. And it's interesting to note in liberalism and Christianity in the 1700s and 1800s, um, they're one of the big atheistic points against the Bible when archaeology was that the pool of Bethsaida, where the Bible says it is, doesn't exist. They've never found it in archaeology, so the Bible's wrong. That was a big thing in the 1700s, 1800s. And uh, have you know that it was in the late 1800s, a German um, archaeologist found the pool of Bethsaida. Had the sign, just like the Bible says, just a couple layers under where they thought it would be. Um, And it had 10 colonnades, just like we learned about last week. And so, uh, you know, uh, usually when there's a liberal argument, just give them time to catch up uh, to what the Bible says. Uh, There's so many examples of that. And uh, if you're interested in some of that kind of how the the Bible is truly backed up by scientific evidence, if you want some, I got some really good resources on that um, if you're interested in that. Um, But so that's where we are. And is it interesting, as we learned last week, that this man had been lame for 38 years. 38 years. And he, Jesus said, why, aren't you, why are you standing there? What are you waiting on? He goes, nobody will carry me in the water. I'm waiting for somebody to carry me. His faith was in a man or somebody to help him out, right? And um, Well, Jesus healed him. He says, well, just pick up your bed and walk. And he's healed, right? I mean, he was hope for one thing, and God delivered him another way. And I just kind of got to thinking about harvest, and I got to think about my own life and personal years. And how about you? When, when you kind of thought God was going to do something one way, like this is how my deliverance is going to come, this is how it's going to work out, this scenario, that scenario, this is how it's going to be, and God, you know, this is what I want, This how I know this is what you got for me, and that ain't what happened. God did it another way, but it was much better. 
Any of you ever think about that in your own life, how that happened? And I think about that with Mary and Joseph. Hey, Mary, guess what? Merry Christmas, you're pregnant. Well, I get, I get nine months before. But anyhow, you know what I'm saying. Um, nobody's going to believe you that you got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You know, not, who's going to believe you? Nobody. But God is with you. The child you carry is the Messiah. You, you think that's how Mary had her life planned out? You think that's how she thought it was going to go? But look what God did in her life and in Joseph's life and for the whole world, right? And so um, God is a God who works like that. And, and Jesus, which was so interesting, we're going to pick it up in verse 16. And I, um, um, our usual method of Sunday morning preaching, we usually cover a good bit of verses, but uh, we're only going to get to cover about four or five this morning because this is depth here. This is really thick. And, um, and so it's first it's the miracle, and then it's this narrative. And um, you notice what day Jesus healed this man? Do you remember from last week? It was on the Sabbath day. Saturday, the holy day, the remember the Sabbath and keep it holy day. Jesus had a pattern of doing that, didn't he? He usually healed people on what day? Was that, on, was that an accident? He just liked that day? No, he did it to start a fight. He, he, he did it to spark some controversy. He did it to uh, get some attention. Um, he, he did it to rustle some feathers. And um, that was his pattern. It was on the Sabbath day. Uh, the John MacArthur commentary was reading on the Gospel of John said, you know, some people say, well, do you think Jesus had a death wish? Uh, and the point is, Jesus actually, he, he came to die. He's the Lamb of God. He, he came to die. And he, but he's, he, it's so interesting, as we're going to see, he wasn't, he wasn't scared of this mob. He didn't back down. He, he simply um, used this opportunity, it's amazing, to preach and so we're, we're going we're gonna to jump into that. And so this morning we're talking about the most important question, the most important question in all the world, the most important topic in all the world, and it's this right here. Who is Jesus? You remember Jesus asked his disciples, who is it, Peter, who is it, the man say that I am? Then he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? Let me tell you the most important thing about you this morning, the most important thing about you this morning, is who you say Jesus is. Your eternity rests on who you say Jesus is and what you've done in reaction to that. Your whole eternity, your whole life depends on those two things. Who you say Jesus is and what you've done with that. So um, this morning, three things I hope the Lord would accomplish. Um, one, to bring clarity about um, Christmas, about Christianity, that you would know, and if you already do know, maybe articulate in your brain, what is the foundational truth about Christianity. What is the most basic truth of Christianity? What is it? Okay. Secondly, um, like I said a while ago, have you wrestled with this most basic truth? Okay. What is the most foundational claim of Christianity? Number two, have you wrestled with it? And number three, if you know what it is, could you describe it to somebody else? Okay. Could you describe it to somebody else? Because I promise you, when we talk about it, God willing, you, you, you'll have people come knock on your door. Jehovah's false witness, and they'll want to have this conversation. Okay? And God willing, you'll be seeking these conversations out with people if you're a Christian. But can you explain it? And, and I hope maybe you can, even from this passage. And so my uh, goal would be for this morning, if you're a Christian, that you would be able to use these verses that we're going to cover this morning, and you would be able to take these verses and share them with someone else, maybe who is a Christian or who's not a Christian, to encourage them in their walk with the Lord, to examine who He is in their response to it. Um, 
So that, that's praying what the Holy Spirit would do. Now, what are you going to, God willing, what, how will that be accomplished? Well, one, I pray you'll keep your Bible open. Okay, I pray you keep your Bible open. If you got a pen in our uh, bulletin, there's a place for notes. So if you're a Christian this morning and you would like to um, take notes about these verses, um, God knows there's a lot more resources online and other places than my sermon. Uh, that's for sure about these verses, but maybe I could give you some points of interest this morning. Um, maybe just spark some of that. So I pray you would do that and that the Holy Spirit would capture your mind as we dive into this text. So, what is the most foundational truth about Christianity? Well, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Emmanuel is what Christmas is all about. Jesus is God. That's kind of the whole sermon. We can kind of pack it up and go home now. That's kind of it. Jesus is God. But the question is, is that what the Bible actually teaches? Um, and, and then skept- and everybody argues, well, if that's what the... It may be one thing, if that's what the Bible teaches... But is that what Jesus taught himself? Did Jesus himself claim to be God? So let's just stay. We're not going to leave the book of John, okay? But let's just go. Let's just walk with me just real fast, just a couple verses. Let's just sum up how we got to chapter 5. So in John chapter 1, verse 1, John doesn't beat around the bush about what he's trying to say. He just hits you in the face with it. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word, who later see the Word is Jesus, who became flesh on Christmas Day. The Word, Jesus, was God. Boom. He just says it in the first sentence. Jesus was God. So does the Bible teach it? Well, John 1.1 1, 1 just says it. Okay, so you can't escape it. Does the Bible say it? Well, yeah. Well, who else says it? Well, John the Baptist says it. Look in verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was... He of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Okay, down to verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So who has seen God? Who's at the Father's right side for all eternity? It is Jesus Christ. Uh, One Wednesday night we were talking, uh, we were teaching on Mormonism. What Mormonism teaches, and we're teaching how Mormons teach that everybody lived before they were born here. They were spirit children on other planets before you're born here. And uh, and Watson was paying somewhat of attention, I guess, or my four year old. And he, he's telling Mama uh, or somebody's like or my 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 dad. He um, and my dad was there, and he says, "Yeah, I was alive before I was here." <laughs> And Daddy goes, no, that's what the Mormons believe, Watson. That's not what the Bible teaches. So just to clarify, that is not what we believe here at Harvest, okay? That's not what the Bible teaches. You you existed when you were born, okay? You didn't pre-exist. But the Bible's saying in John 1, and John the Baptist is saying, Jesus Christ existed in the beginning. Genesis 1-1, when God created the world in the beginning, before time existed, Jesus existed with the Father. He's at the Father's right hand. So the Bible teaches it. John the Baptist says it. Um, The disciples say it. Look with me in chapter 1 and verse 49. Um, This is Jesus uh, talking to Nathanael. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, You are the Son of God, the Son of God. We'll talk about why that's a claim to deity. You are the King of Israel. And why did he say that? Because Jesus said, I seen you under the fig tree when he was miles away. Jesus knew where the man was and what he was doing. Way before FaceTime was a thing, right? He saw him, he knew what he's doing. And Nathaniel goes, how did you know that? And we see that. Who knows everything? 
biblically, truthfully. God, right? I mean, uh, husbands, we, we know everything, right? But God, or we think, or we know our wives actually know everything, don't we? Uh, but God actually knows everything, doesn't he? And Jesus, John is going to say that Jesus, knows, look in, look in uh, well, in chapter 2, he turns water into wine. I love that quote that says, how did the wine, water become wine? Um, the water saw its maker and it blushed. I love that. That's what happened, right? The water, the water become wine. But um, Jesus says in chapter 2 and verse 14, when he turned water into wine, this was the first of his signs Jesus did in Canaan and Galilee and manifest his glory. Show how great he is. Who can go around saying, hey, look how great I am. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Though some people do it, don't they? Some people can strut sitting down, can't they? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that is what Jesus is going around saying, I'm doing these so you see how great I am. And the Jews all know only one person gets glory. And it's God. It's God. And the Rock Brooks, it's God. And, and to show that he's omniscient, that he knows everything, at the end of chapter 2, verse 24, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to these people that were seeking him for signs, because he knew all people. Jesus knows everybody and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. He knows what's in a man and a woman. He knows your heart. In the Old Testament, who knows the heart? Remember when the, they picked the king um, after Saul died and they come to David and his brothers and they say, Samuel goes, that guy, the little scrawny shepherd, he's the next king. And Jesse goes, he's a runt. He goes, yeah, man looks on the outside, but God knows the heart. Who knows the heart? Jesus saying, I know the heart. John saying, he knows the heart. He's claiming to be God. Or John saying he's God. In John chapter 4, in Samaria, the woman at the well, you remember when they get in their conversation at the well? Jesus, Jesus looks at her and finally goes, why don't you just go get your husband for, for what we're talking about? Go get him. She goes, I have no husband. He said, you're right, because you've had five of them. She goes, what? How do you know that? She goes into town and says, there's a man who knows everything about me, and I just met him. He knows it all. you got to come see this guy. He knows it all. Who knows all? It's God. So this is what the Gospels say. But let me tell you what's interesting about this text right here. This is pivotal. These verses we're going to cover this morning are absolutely pivotal. So you've had the beginning of John, and then the rest of John are these miracles where Jesus says, I am the shepherd, the uh, bread of life, all these I am statements, which is a claim to deity, by the way. But this right here, these verses are pivotal. They're, they hinge in the gospel because they are Jesus preaching about Jesus. They're Jesus talking about himself. And so the liberals can say, well, did Jesus ever claim to be God? Right here. He's about to do it. And I want to show you four times how he implies that he's God in these verses. Four times um, that we're going to see that. So let's start here in verse 16. And this was the Jews who were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. That's our Jesus making trouble on the Sabbath. Making all these crowd of people. Now um, people angry at him. Now remember, it wasn't just... A Lord's Day Sabbath. It wasn't just any Saturday. Do you remember verse 1? It was during a feast. It was, so not only is he picking a fight with just a few people, he, he heals the guy, and he says, pick up, remember what Pastor Chris told us last week? He said, pick up your bed. He said, I want you to walk, and I want you to go through that sheep gate over there. Now, verse 1 tells us it's a festival. 
All Jewish males, when a big festival in town, they got to make their way there. Okay, so it's like a mandatory, you're Jewish male, you live close, you got to get there. Hundreds of thousands of people there. The most popular gate in the city is, guess where? The sheep gate. So Jesus isn't in like around 20 people and he's like, hey, pick up your, pick up your uh, bed and walk. And there's like 20 people mad because this guy broke a traditional Sabbath law, as Pastor Chris taught last week, that says, you know, you couldn't lift a bed up, uh, that they had come up, the Jews, you couldn't lift it above your shoulder or you couldn't work, you couldn't sell beds or whatever. All right, so he wasn't um, just, you know, trying to make 20 people upset. He says, before 100,000 people walk through that sheep gate, He's going to make everybody mad, okay? He's trying to really pick a fight. That's what he's trying to do here, okay? So that's what happens. And then verse 17, but Jesus answered them. Jesus answered them. Now, remember, (laughs) when we start this off, Jesus is not... um, He's not at a Southern Baptist Convention Sunday school get-together, okay? He is against an angry mob of Pharisees uh, and Jewish leaders that want him gone. They hate him, okay? They had, it says, we read in verse 16, they were persecuting him. He stands up in front of them. He didn't say, hey, guys, I know y'all are mad. Let's get together. Let's just have a prayer meeting. And um, let's just agree to disagree. Or hey, let's let's just let's just talk about the set. Let's have a theological debate. Let's just talk about the Sabbath thing. Don't you think it's a good thing to heal people on the Sabbath? Like it's not work. I mean, it, shouldn't we be glad the guy's healed? He didn't do that, did he? He, he didn't. He didn't say, "Hey, by the way, I can kind of you know, I, I think we should just talk more about it." That's not at all what he said. He doubles down on this group of people that hate him, and he said, "You know what? I did do that on the Sabbath, and let me tell you why." He uses this to claim to all these people who hate him that he is, in fact, God. I'm going to show it to you. (laughs) Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I'm working. Now, that, that may not hit you in any way, but let me give you the context. He says, My father is working until now. So, this is actually two claims of deity here. Um, and, and I'm going to show you that. So there was a debate going on among rabbis and Jewish people at the time. They had this problem. Because in Sunday school with the youth, we were talking about this morning, uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, and the fourth one is, maybe it's the fourth one. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Well, the Jews had a problem with that. Well, on the Sabbath day, we're not to do any work. But God works on the Sabbath, don't he? Like, God makes everything work. He holds the world together. The grass still grows on the Sabbath day, right? The air keeps moving. Like, the world keeps spinning. They knew that God had to do something on the Sabbath day, so they were like, is God a lawbreaker? No. God God wrote the law. He can't be a lawbreaker. So they said, they come up with crazy rules that Pastor Chris read last week, like, hey, you can... You can do stuff in your house. You just can't carry it to other people's house. And they say, see, this includes God because the whole world is God. And God can work in his house, the world, but not work outside of that. So God's covered. He's good. And what's Jesus saying? And you know that debate y'all got back going on if Jesus can work on the Sabbath or not? Let me tell you something. God is working on the Sabbath. Okay, he might have rested on the first one, but God is working on the Sabbath. He keeps the world turning. He's a, but let me tell you something else. I'm working on the Sabbath too. Whoa, what's he saying? I'm God working on the Sabbath. He said, in other words, there's two classifications of, of, of people. Those who can't work on the Sabbath, creatures. And those who can, God. 
And he says, I'm on this part. I'm in this category. I'm working on the Sabbath. So that, that, was, that was bad, okay? You say, are you sure that's what Jesus was saying? Well, look in verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. So they went from persecuting him to wanting to kill him. Why? Because he said, my father's working on Sabbath, and I'm working too. They knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew exactly what he meant when he said that. And the Bible backs that up, doesn't it? Hebrews chapter 1, one of the most amazing statements about Jesus in all the Bible. The Bible says, Jesus sustains the world by the power of his word. Right now, Jesus keeps the world spinning. He keeps the earth as far away from the sun and moon, just like it should be so that life can prosper here on earth. He keeps all the scientific laws at bay and all of it working so the world can be just as it is. Who keeps it all together? You know, Einstein actually said, he says, I know something holds this world together. I know something's working. I can't explain it, but something holds it all together. I don't know what it is. The Bible, we know what it is, don't we, Christian? It's Jesus holds the whole, we used to sing this song, didn't we? He's got the whole world in his hand. He does. He does have the whole world in his hands. My father's working till now and I am working. I fall under that. But the second um, I said four, I'm going to cheat you a little bit. Merry Christmas. I'm going to give you five, okay? I'm just going to give you five. Uh, Don't don't worry about it. Don't don't worry about it. Um, and, and And here's the second one. He says my father. Now you say that's not a, that's not a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. Look at the end of verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking to kill him more. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he's saying, I'm God working on the Sabbath. He was even calling God his own father. Calling God his own father. You see, the Jews had no problem even in worship saying, we are the children of God. We are God's people. We are God's children. But they would never say, never, I am the daughter of God or I am the son of God. You know why? That's way too familiar. Because to say that you are the son or daughter of someone means you share in their nature. You are like them. Okay? Like in the Bible, for instance, son of thunder. Remember James and John? What does that mean? Their father was really hot off the trigger, and so were they. They're just like their father. They call him son of Beelzebub. Sons of the devil. They're just like their father. Sons of the devil. So that's a, you're the nature of the devil, right? So Nobody would ever say, hey, I am the son of God. Because that would be saying, I'm the same nature as God. They would never dare say that. But does Jesus say it? (laughs) He says, he's my father. He is my father. Um, So absolutely. Um, The whole purpose of John's gospel, right, is John chapter 20, uh, verse 31, that says, these things I've written so that you may believe in the name of the son of God that he is the Messiah, and you may have life in his name. The Son of God. Not a Son of God. We could all say this morning, hey, if you're a Christian, I'm a Son of God. I'm a daughter of God. But we would never dare say, I am the Son of God. We would never dare say that. Why? Because that would imply that you're the same. Jesus has no problem saying, I'm the very same nature of God himself. What happened at Christmas? God took on human flesh. The Bible says in Colossians 2 that Jesus, the fullness of God, in Ephesians 2, dwelt in him the fullness of the Godhead. That Jesus is claiming to be one with the Father. And once again, verse 18, Jesus is not in the buckle of the Bible belt. I mean, he's not. He is in hostile territory. And the Jews got what he was saying. The Jews understood what Jesus was getting at. Um, there's no doubt about it. Pastor Chris, we need to pray for his co-worker and others who deny that Jesus claimed to be God because here, there's no way around it, is there? The Jews are saying, he's claiming to be equal with God. He's got to die. 
That's blasphemy. The Jews knew what he was saying. They knew what he was saying. They got it. But you see, somewhat, you've got to give credit to these Jews and Pharisees because they wanted him killed. They say in chapter 8, he's possessed by a demon. You see, you can't go the road of Joel Steen and Oprah. You, you can't just simply say, you know, God, he, Jesus, he's a good teacher. Like, he's a great example. Like, follow his teaching and you'll get a lot of money in life. Or you'll be really healthy. Like, you just can't do that. Like, that's just not being honest with the Bible or honest with what Jesus said. Because take this, if you don't acknowledge that Jesus is God, you eat, there's no middle ground for what I'm trying. You have to say Jesus is God. Or Jesus, like they said, is a demon. He's either of the devil or he's God. Why? You can't say, like, oh, I think he's a good teacher. Because what did he teach? He said, the Father's working and I'm working. He's my Father. I'm the very nature of God. He, you, can't, you can't say, oh, he's a good teacher. Yeah, he claims to be God, but, you know, skip that part. You can't do that. You either have to say he's right and he's God, or he's wrong, and he's of the devil. He's a lunatic, or he's Lord. I mean, you got to say one or the other. And we live in a county, okay? We live, I may be wrong here, but I think Banks County, in the last election, the one before that, vote was the most percentage-wise, I may be wrong, I know in the state of Georgia, maybe the nation, voted more red than any other where else, okay? Con conservative, and praise the Lord for it. But do you know out of 21,000 people in Banks County, you know what I mean people will be in church on the average Sunday? By the way, 51% of them claim to be Baptists. Not just Christian, Baptists. Do you know how I many people will be on the average Sunday be in church? Less than 10%. Everybody's Christian around us, aren't they? Everybody's Christian. But how many people actually bow the knee to him? I mean, we really, that's what I'm saying. We can know these truths, but do we wrestle with them? Do you wrestle with that Jesus is God? He is Lord. And if he's Lord, we got to do what he said because he's God. Do we wrestle with that? There's no middle ground. I, I was watching, or I, I was heard James White, a teacher I really enjoy, and James White was saying, Dr. White, that he, years ago, he was on the Dr. Drew show. You may remember that show. It was on MTV. He's, you know, counselor, MTV, all, I'm trying, I don't remember shows he did. Uh, not that into it. But he was telling, he was on the Dr. Drew show, and uh, on the Dr. Drew show, it was him and some others, and they were talking about homosexual marriage. This was years ago, because homosexual marriage is not even a topic anymore. Is it? it's, we forfeited that one for some reason. I don't understand, but we just moved on from that one. We're just trying to figure out what a man and a woman is at this point. God help us. But uh, years ago, a decade ago, they were arguing about this, and uh, James says, hey, listen, I mean, Jesus said that marriage was between a man and a woman. That settles it. Jesus said it. Like, that's it. And, I, and Dr. Drew responded, well... That's one religious teacher. That's what he says. And James says, no, you don't understand. That's what Jesus said, so that's kind of it. He's like, yeah, that's one religious perspective. He said, no, it's not. The Lord God Jesus Christ said it. That's it. Like he's God. Yeah, that's God. And he's like, you don't understand. He's like, well, there's other opinions. He goes, well, when someone else dies and raises from the dead, we can listen to their opinion about it. Okay. All right, we're talking about God. There's not negotiations about what He says in His Word, right? I mean, this is God. I mean, think about who they're arguing with here. They're calling Jesus the law. Who wrote the law? It's God's law. Jesus claiming to be God. Who come up with the Sabbath commandment? 
God did. Jesus did. Who rested on the Sabbath day in creation? Jesus did. They're looking at the judge. They're looking at the lawmaker, and they're saying, you're wrong. They're looking at the judge. It, it's kind of like me this week arguing with a basketball referee. I mean, when's it going to get that far? You know, I'm, <laughs> it's kind of different because I don't really think he knew the rules that well. But, I mean, anyhow, it's neither here nor there. But they're arguing with the judge. It, it doesn't... It, it, that's who they're arguing with. So, and Jesus is pointing that out to them. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. He says, truly, truly, amen, amen. Before I talk to you, you just need to know I'm truth, I'm speaking truth. And he didn't say, hey, let's talk about this. He says, I'm saying to you. He didn't say, let's read the Mishnah, let's read a book. Let's read. He, said, he didn't say, let's go to the Old Testament. He goes, I'm saying it. You got it? Like, I'm God, I'm speaking, you have to listen. Pretty abrupt, isn't it? You stand, we, I'm not saying we, nobody needs to claim to be God, but we need people to stand up and say the truth, don't we? We really do. And, and Jesus is going to stand up and he's going to do it. And here's what he says. The son can do nothing on his own accord. This is the negative part. That, so they were thinking, Jesus. they know Jesus claiming to be God, and they were thinking, well, Jesus is saying he's another. Maybe Jesus means he's like a competing God. Like there's Yahweh in the Old Testament, and then Jesus claiming to be another God, like a rival God. He's competing against Yahweh. What is Jesus saying here? No, 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 no. I can do nothing. Not that I can do some things on my own, like some of the things I want to do, I do. And some of the things I do what the Father wants me to do. Now, what do he say? I can do nothing on my own accord. Only what the Father, whatever, whatever I see the Father doing. So he says, I can do nothing by myself. I don't do anything on my own accord that I want to do. Just on my own initiative. I do what the Father I see the Father doing. They understood Jesus growing up was a what? A carpenter, wasn't he? A carpenter. How did he learn to be a carpenter? From Joseph, right? Joseph was a carpenter. He, he learned that trade from his father. And it wasn't but about how many years ago, Alex, where most boys and, and most girls learned their trade by watching who? Their parents, wasn't it? That's just how civilization worked, wasn't it? Jesus is saying to you, I've been at the Father's side from all eternity, and I can only do what I see him doing. Okay? That's how we're a one nature. We are unified. I'm not another God. I'm not a competing God. I am the same nature as Yahweh. I am Yahweh. <clears throat> he's saying he, he's not arguing against monotheism. He's not arguing that there's three different gods. He's not arguing that there's two gods. By the way, if you watch TBN, Paul Crouch, he believes there's three different gods. That's a heresy. Um, one Pentecostal, one is Pentecostals. They believe there's, um, uh, they believe there's uh, one God and one person. That's not biblical. Biblically speaking, there is one God and three persons. Okay, let me show you that. Jesus is saying, "I'm the same nature as God, but there's a distinction between me and the Father in person." And look what he says next: um, "For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise." Do you see that? Whatever I, whatever I see the Father doing, I do. I can't do no more. But what do I, I do? Whatever the Father does, the Son does. Like, in other words, John wouldn't say the opposite. John wouldn't write. It wouldn't be accurate to say that the Father um, does whatever he sees the Son doing. Likewise, does that make sense? 
they have different roles. There's a distinction in person. In other words, it's the Father who initiates sins and commands and commissions and grants, but it's the Son who responds and obeys and performs His Father's will and receives authority. One God, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and where's the claim to deity here? He says, he says, for whatever the Father does, the Son does. That word do. What does God do on the Sabbath and every day of the week? He keeps the world spinning. <laughs> what is the Son saying he does? I keep the world spinning. <laughs> Mary, did you know, right? <laughs> Mary, did you know? I am God. Not only am I like God, but I do what he does. I am able. I am all-powerful. I'm almighty. I can do what God does. I can raise the dead. I give life. I judge. And, and next week, we'll get to more of that. Okay? Just, just a break. Let's end it here. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son. Some of the Jews may say, well, Jesus, you may do what the Father does and all that, but you don't know everything, Jesus. Jesus says, well, the Father loves me, and he loves the Son, and he shows all that he himself is doing. He shows me everything because the Father loves the Son. Do you see the exclusive claims here of Jesus? I mean, it couldn't be more in their face. There's no way after hearing this, you can be a Jew in Judaism. I shared this story with a lot of you, but I, I had a family member come to me and, uh, from a distance on my mama's side and said, hey, we'd like you to do our wedding. You know, we don't really know people and they ask you to do your wedding. That's always like a, eh. <laughs> all right, we got to talk. You know? So we have a talk. And I find out before we meet that this guy's Jewish. He grew up in a Jewish family. He's Jewish. I'm like, and, and this distant cousin of mine is a Christian. I said, okay, it's great. I, I'm ready to go. I got loaded for bear. I'm, I'm having coffee with these people. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to share the gospel, the resurrection of Christ. Like, I'm going to share who Jesus is. And God willing, man, maybe this guy to get saved, and maybe I can do their wedding. Two Christians. Uh, so I go, and I sit down with them. And I go through, the, we get into the gospel conversation, and I just thought it went so good. The guy's paying attention. Like he, I'm like, oh, man, this is like, this guy, the Lord's working on him. He looks at me and goes, mm, nah, I don't believe that. I'm Jewish. I'm not, I'm not, not going with the Jesus thing. I'm like, oh, are you serious? And I, I looked at her and I said, but you're still a Christian. You still believe this, right? She goes, no, I think I'll go with the Jewish thing too. So not only did I not win one, I lost one. This is a net loss. And uh, it's sad to pray for him, but it, here's the deal. After Jesus and what he says here, you can't go back to Judaism. It, it can't be... Judaism and Christianity are equal. Like, if you're a Jew and you deny Jesus, you'll still get to heaven one day. No. No. Because Jesus is saying, he's saying in John 14, when you've seen the Father, you've seen me. You accept me, you accept the Father, the Old Testament. You see that? The Father loves me. I do what he does. You see, here's the deal. You, you, can, take, you can take Buddha out of Buddhism and you still got Buddhism. Still got it. You can take... Uh, Muhammad out of Islam and he still got Islam you still got the law you still got the pillars you still got the thing you cannot take Christ out of Christianity if you do you have nothing if you reject the basic thing about who Jesus is and that is Jesus is God if you reject that you reject what the Bible says and you might as well throw it all out 
The most basic thing is Jesus. And there's a Christianity going all over the world today that says you can just say a prayer or you can just get in some water and do whatever and you're in. Easy believism. That is not taking into account any of the Bible that says Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. And that's why over and over in the Old and New Testament, what's the response to this? You either have to repent. That means turn from yourself and your sin and turn to Christ because he's God. It's foundational. It's the first day one. Jesus is God. You, you can't just, okay, Jesus is God and I'd still like to go to heaven but I'd like to do my own thing. Won't work. You have to repent, turn from your sin and yourself and turn to Jesus. Okay, that's first part. You have to believe the true Christmas story. What is it? That he lived a perfect, it's just what we, in Christ alone, that he lived a perfect life. That when he died, that what broke Mary's heart, the sword that went through her heart, is that her son would go to a Roman cross. And it wasn't the physical death that would break her heart so much as it was the spiritual death that he died. That he took the sins of all those that would ever believe on him and he took the wrath of God for them. That's why we sung the wrath of God is satisfied. Because our faith is in Christ. We get his heaven, he took our hell on the cross. And just to prove it, that that's what happened on the cross, Romans 4 says he rose from the dead. That's the whole and full Christmas story. God with us and God died for us and he rose again. You must respond by either, I stood in church for most of my life thinking I could just hear that message and say, all right, maybe later. I hear that. Maybe when I get things right in life, maybe when things are going better, I'll really pay attention to that. Maybe when I get older, I'll pay attention to that. There's no middle ground there. It's either full-on rejection or full repentance and faith. There's no middle ground, friend, today. Where are you at? Have you wrestled with it? Do you understand Jesus is God? Do you understand what he's done? Have you wrestled with it? Could you explain it to somebody else? Could you use these verses to explain that to somebody else? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website, harvestbc.church. If you would like to contact us, please email us at contact.harvestbc at gmail.com or you can call us at 706-780-2211. If you are looking for a church home or visiting the North Georgia area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning. 9.30 in the Fellowship Hall for breakfast and Sunday school, and then at 11 a.m. for our Lord's Day worship service. We hope that you have a great week. God bless.